Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You for Your tender care of us, Your sheep. And we pray that You would use these gifts to further Your name uh, here in Elizabeth City uh, in the Tidewater Presbytery and throughout the world for Your glory. Uh, in Christ's name, Amen. We are continuing our journey through Leviticus chapter 20, or through Leviticus. We'll be in chapter 22 this morning. Um, If you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 100. Remember the uh, how Leviticus fits in the unfolding story of God's redemptive work. Remember, He saved uh, the people of Israel out of. Uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, in order to bring them into a relationship with Him, where He's promised that He's going to live in their midst, they're going to live with Him, uh, to demonstrate His glory among the nations. So the question then comes up, how is this going to work? Um, how can we, as an unholy people, how, is, how are we going to even survive when the holy God moves into our neighborhood? And so Leviticus is God's gracious provision of explaining and showing the people Not only how it's going to be that He is going to provide a way for uh, a holy and righteous God to dwell in the midst of a sinful people, uh, but also giving instructions to the people of how they're to live out these holy and separate lives before the the watching world. Um, Last week, we saw a little bit uh, in chapter 21 of the important role that the priests play uh, in uh, God's, uh, God's work and the, the relationship that He has established with His people. This morning, there's going to be a little more uh, instruction on that, specifically on uh, the bringing of offerings before God as He instructs not only the priests, but the people on, uh, on the bringing of these offerings and why and how they are to do that. So, if you would, look with me in chapter 22. Uh, we'll be looking at the, the whole chapter this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as I read from the Word of God uh, for us this morning. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am Yahweh. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to Yahweh while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am Yahweh. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing or... Uh, by which he may be made unclean, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy things, because they are his food. He shall not eat of what dies of itself or is torn by beasts, and so make himself unclean by it. I am Yahweh. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it, and die thereby when they profane it. I am Yahweh, who sanctifies them. A layperson shall not eat of the holy thing, of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or a hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. 
but if a priest buys a slave, that would be uh, considered more of an indentured servant. We'll look at that uh, later in chapter 25. Uh, as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Yet no layperson shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to Yahweh, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to Yahweh, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh to fulfill a vow, or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to Yahweh or give them to Yahweh as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering that cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to Yahweh. You shall not do it with your hand, within your land. Neither shall you offer as bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation. They will not be accepted for you. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to Yahweh. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep or, and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving to Yahweh, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It may be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it till morning. I am Yahweh. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Yahweh. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for... Uh, the provision uh, of the Scriptures that not only inform, but they change us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that You would do that this morning as You apply the Word of God to the hearts of Your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so in this chapter, we're... we're seeing that uh, God is uh, continuing His instruction to His people about how to live as, uh, as His people. Um, and here it's uh, focused on um, instructions surrounding some more uh, details around offering offerings to God. Uh, this uh, chapter is kind of broken up and looking at the priest's role in that and how it's important for them to deal with and manage these offerings that are brought to God. But then also he's instructing and talking to the people 
about their responsibilities and, and, and how and what it is that they're to bring to him. And so that's how we want to look at it this morning. We want to look at God's instructions to the priests, and then we want to look at God's instructions to the people. So first, looking at uh, God's instructions here to the priest um, as these offerings are, are coming in. Uh, the first thing that, that sticks out that God seems to want to emphasize deeply to the priest and to all the people who, who are hearing this, that, that the, the holy things, the offerings that are being brought in are first and foremost, they belong to God. They're His. Notice in verses uh, 2 and 3, it says this, Speak to the sons of uh, to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me. And then in verse 3, it says it again, that they dedicate to me. Again, in verse 15, they shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to Yahweh. It's, it's a reminder and to the priest that everything that is being brought into the house of God, everything that the people are bringing and offering they are offering to God Himself. They are His. First and foremost, they belong to Him. Now, why would the priests need to be reminded of this? Seems like it would make sense. I mean, you're in God's house. Of course they're His, right? There's a popular restaurant uh, here in Elizabeth City that in the past couple of years has changed uh, management. And under the, the former owner, as they uh, gave out uh, coupons um, for various menu items they had, they were known as uh, accepting these coupons well after the, the expiration date. Um, and so if you brought in your coupon, it doesn't matter if it was a week late or a month late, sometimes even a year, they would accept the coupon and give you your free sandwich or ice cream cone or drink or whatever it might be. Well, under the, the new management, uh, as these uh, coupons were brought, uh, if, if it said it expired on July 1st, then it expired on July 1st. And I'm sorry, if it's after July, we can no longer honor this coupon and you won't, won't get your free item. Well, some people got really mad about that. They couldn't believe that this new owner would have the gall to refuse them their free chicken sandwich. They're, the, instead of responding and thinking, I don't deserve a free sandwich. I don't deserve a free ice cream cone. They are giving me this in their, their own generosity. Sure, there's probably some marketing schemes behind it. I know that. But they're offering it in their, their free grace to me. But in receiving it over and over again, what ends up working in our hearts sometimes is that when we are given something and given something and given something, the longer it happens, the more we can get used to it. And we move to it from a, a place of thanksgiving and rejoicing to a sense of entitlement. To think that now they are obligated to give this to us. And if they don't, something's wrong. We become associated more with what we're getting and the gift and completely begin to turn our hearts away from the giver. 
Now, why would this be an issue for the priests? Well, notice how God here, through these offerings, He's graciously providing for the priest. Remember, of the, the sacrifices and the offerings that are brought to the tabernacle, uh, some of them were burnt up, whole burnt offerings. Everything was burnt up as a gift to God. But some, some of the offerings, only a portion of it was burnt up. And the holy things or the most holy things were given to the priests. Notice, for their own provision. In verse 6 and 7, it even says this. It's telling them when they are allowed to eat or not eat of these holy things. In verse 7, it says this. Uh, telling them that when they may eat of the holy things, because they are his food. God's saying, this stuff is mine, but in my grace and my mercy, I am giving it to you for your provision. These priests who, who work, who serve full-time vocationally to uh, make sure that, that the worship of God and the instruction of his people is carrying on. It's through the design and intention of God through the sacrificial and offering system that some of what the people bring to him, God then gives to the priests, not just for themselves, but notice it's also for the provision of his household, for the priest and his household. Uh, verses 10 through uh, through 14 lay that out of explaining who within the priest's house can or cannot eat of God's food that he gives to the families of the priest to eat. So it's, it's very important. You can see how if you're the priest, week in and week out, day after day, as these things are being brought, and if you're taking in and bringing in the, the offerings that people are bringing to the tabernacle as given to God, but you're the ones who's, who's dealing with it, you're managing it, you're bringing it in, you're eating it, you're benefiting from it. Of how easy your heart could begin to, to shift and how much you could begin to turn and begin to think these aren't primarily God's. You begin to see them as yours and how you could benefit and what you would get from them. Therefore, it's vitally important and it matters how these servants of God, these priests manage what is being brought to God. That's the point of this portion of this chapter of God's instructions to the priest. It matters what you do and how you deal with the gifts and the things that are brought into my my tabernacle that are brought to me. Because they're first and foremost mine, but I'm graciously providing them to you. But it matters. It matters how you use them in the sanctuary. And it matters how you use them at home. Do you see how it's not just in the... It, it talks about in verses uh, 1 and following of, of talking about the priest when it's uh, in verse 2 when it says about abstaining from the holy things. Remember, um, there were as, as these gifts are brought to the tabernacle, uh, we've talked before about how one could become ritually impure. Well, in that context, they needed to be careful about how they interacted with them when they were brought into the sanctuary area, the tabernacle precincts, so that they would uh, respect and properly deal with them, how they managed them, how they interacted with them. God's saying that it, it matters how you are dealing with these things here in the sanctuary. Because sometimes the, the most, if there was an offering that was brought that was considered a most holy thing, 
Only the priests were able to eat it at the tabernacle, the tabernacle area. But there were other things, the, the holy things, that they were able to take home and eat with their families. And, and it goes on. You see that God's also given these instructions that it matters how you manage these offerings that are brought and how you use them in your home as well. I've graciously given, but it matters how you deal with them in, in, the, in the context of my tabernacle and my sanctuary. And it also matters how you manage these gifts that are brought in in your home. And again, in verses 10 through 14, God lays out who is able to eat of these things that you take to your home. You're not to mismanage and, and deal with them wrongly in the context of my house. And you're also not to take and deal with them and manage them wrongly in the context of your own home. I, uh, I grew up in Charlotte. And uh, Charlotte has a sad history of financial scandals among pastors going all the way back to Jim Baker who was a televangelist and had a huge nationally known financial scandal um, uh, where he would uh, uh, promise certain things and talk in certain ways about how you could get blessings from God through giving and, and providing for, uh, for him specifically and he embezzled and took a lot of money as he built up this huge uh, amusement park area and was driving around in all sorts of fancy cars and living a crazy luxurious life. Um, well, this uh, mismanagement of the offerings that God's people were giving primarily to God, Jim Baker began to think that he was serving in that position and it was solely to benefit him. It began to become less and less about glorifying God to how he could benefit himself. And the name of God continues to suffer to this day in Charlotte because of the way that people who claimed to be leaders of God's people mismanaged the offerings that God's people brought into the church. Within the past couple of years, both the newspaper and multiple television stations in Charlotte continue to do stories and exposés on uh, pastors and churches and the way that they handle or mishandle the offerings that are coming into to churches. Um, the way that they deal with, uh, with book signings, the way that they spend their money in questionable ways. The world in Charlotte is watching not just how the leaders of God's people deal with the money in the context of the church, but also they're aware of how they're using it and spending it in their own homes. And it matters. And there are many people who, because of the, the mishandling of these offerings that are brought into God's house in Charlotte, there are many people within that community who want to have nothing to do with God or His church because the way that it appears is that the leaders of God's people, those who represent Him, are, uh, want nothing but to benefit themselves at the expense of others. The glory of God has been cast aside. The name and fame of God has been cast aside. And people don't want to have anything to do with Him. You see, the the way the leaders of God's people deal with the offerings of God's people affect not only how they view God, but how the watching world views God. And notice here, 
how vitally important it is, the way that God's entrusted leaders deal with the things, the gifts that are given to his church, that are given to him, matter. God takes it seriously. Do you, do you notice the punishments that come from mishandling the offerings that come to God? Notice in verse 3, one of the consequences that the, the priests could do if they, they mismanage or, or mishandle in the, uh, not in the way that God intended and designed the offerings that come in. In verse 3 it says, that person shall be cut off from his presence. Either they will cease to be a priest or it could go so far as the, to mean that they will be completely cut off, no longer recognized as being a part of the people of God. Uh, later on in verse 9, it could go so far as God's warning them uh, to obey his, his intentions and His purposes and His design and His instruction for how to manage His offerings, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby, thereby when they profane it. Uh, and then uh, uh, finally in verse 16, he says the same, a similar thing, that they would bear iniquity and guilt by wrongly managing these things within their home. God takes these things seriously. Why? Because, remember what we saw last week, the, the, the nation of Israel as a whole is a kingdom of priests. Priest's role is to represent, to mediate God's presence and His character to those that they're interacting with. The priests have that primary role but then the, the nation of Israel is to do that to the rest of the world. And so what's at stake in verse 2, it tells us, is profaning the name of the Lord. Profaning the name of God. The way that the leaders of God's people handle the gifts to God affects the way not only the, the people of God, but the world views the God that we serve. Therefore, it matters. It matters how the shepherds of God's people steward the things that, that come into the church. Financial and faithful stewardship is necessary and important for the people of God and for the, the leaders of the people. How what is brought into the church is dealt with, accounted for, and spent in ethical and financially sound ways. This isn't just for the sake of being uh, uh, financially ethical of following some sort of IRS procedures. It's bigger than that. It's not just about not breaking the law. It's because the fame and the glory of God is at stake. The mission of God hinges on the faithfulness of the shepherds of God's people and the faithfulness of His people in the world. That's why as we think through our existence here as, as a church, as we think through the way that we deal with our money, this is important for us to know. Uh, just this morning, you brought gifts to God, offering to Him. They're not mine. They're to, to God. You are not giving to Harbor Presbyterian Church this morning. You are not giving to me this morning. You're giving to God. That's important to remember. The other thing is, is for you to know, we're trying to, to put down practices within our church to honor things like this in Scripture. I do not deal with the, the money here. Um, I do not count or touch any of this. There's um, uh, individuals who are members of our church with background checks who have been uh, faithfully uh, uh, 
noted to, uh, to count and deal with all this money. It's sent to uh, an external uh, bookkeeper who's outside of our, uh, our church who uh, accounts for all of it. Um, that's uh, been recognized by several other churches in our presbytery to be faithful and trustworthy. Uh, the budget is uh, uh, not set just by me. Our elders together determine what it is that it's, it's going to be. My salary, I don't come up with that. It's determined now since we're a mission church by our presbytery, but eventually it'll be determined by our local leadership. This is valuable and important for us to know and to be aware of when I present the budget here in a couple of weeks, that it's hopefully be as transparent as, uh, as we can for this very reason, to make sure that God's name is not uh, disparaged or shamed in the way that we deal with what's brought into his church. Even now, there's uh, over the past year, there's been uh, another scandal of a pastor who is trying to raise money for a $65 million private jet. How are we spending God's money? How are we using it? How are we accounting for it? And is it focused on His fame and His glory? Or does it become about me? About what I can get from it? Whether it's just about financial, material stuff, or I can even begin to think that worship here this morning is about me. What you'll think about me. Why do I prepare? How do I prepare on Sunday to gather for worship here? Is it so that a name uh, will be made for me? Or is it so that Jesus will be exalted and you'll leave here delighting more in Him? Leviticus instruction calls us to that this morning. But it's not just instructions to priests, it's Instructions to the people as well. The focus here is on what and how the people are to bring offerings. Notice the language that comes up over and over again uh, about what acceptable offerings are from verses 17 and and following. Notice in verse uh, 21. It says this, and this is uh, kind of uh, common for this whole section. In order for the offering to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. In fact, this whole section is outlining what counts as a blemish, what counts as being imperfect, and what God will accept when you bring it to Him. There's not to be any blemishes. And it goes over and over and over again in telling what is acceptable or not. And then uh, listen to, to how often this comes up in verse 19, in verse 20, in verse 23, in verse 25. Uh, God keeps saying this. Uh, if, you, if you bring something that has a blemish or is not perfect, it will not be acceptable to you. It will not be accepted to God. So the offerings that are brought to God, the things that are brought to Him, what it's telling us is that they have to be absolutely perfect and without blemish. What, what does that tell us? What does that tell us about God and what does it tell us about us? Let's look at that just, just briefly. The, the first thing we see is, what does it tell us about God? That these gifts must be without blemish. That they must be perfect. Remember, who it is these gifts are being given to. They're being given to God. Notice in verse 18. 
um, it says uh, about presenting their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to Yahweh. And this goes over and over again. Verse 21, offerings to Yahweh. Over and over, we see that these offerings are offered to God. God is saying is that what is proper, what is acceptable, what is necessary to him as the king, the covenant king, is a perfect uh, offering and sacrifice. This is something for us to, to, to remember and look back on as we've been journeying our way through Leviticus, to, to remember that the sacrifices that we bring to God, the offerings that we bring to God, uh, reflect our value of God. Um, we see in verse 32 that um, the, the encouragement that God gives as, as the people are to follow these instructions is, is saying, you shall keep these commandments that I'm giving you and you shall not profane my name. The way that, that, our, that our hearts are engaged, the things that, the way that we offer, what we offer and what we give to God reflects the value and significance that we give to Him. In fact, uh, in Malachi, uh, which is uh, one of the prophets that's calling God's people back to faithfulness, one of the things that's addressed there is of the people not following these very commands in Leviticus of bringing sick, lame, uh, maimed offerings before God. And his question to them, uh, he, he gets down into their heart. It's not about the stuff so much as it is their heart. And he says, am I not your master? Am I not your father? What does this reveal about your own heart that you would bring this kind of junk to me? Does it show about your value of me as your redeemer, as your king? You wouldn't bring this stuff before your governor and expect to be accepted. Why would you bring it before your covenant God? But it's also given us instructions and telling us about us. We see that God, it tells us that he's valuable and worthy of unblemished, perfect or perfect offerings. But what about us? Notice, this isn't talking about uh, whole burnt offerings. It's not talking about offerings that were needed uh, and to be given because you sinned or violated God's commands. Do you notice what the, the kind of offerings it's talking about uh, in this passage are free will offerings um, or vow offerings or thanksgiving offerings. That's something to, to remember and, and think about. These would have been offerings that you brought in response to God's generous grace in your life. They were offerings of thanksgiving. Um, now, at any time, you could have offered a prayer to God of thanksgiving, but this is talking about specific, um, particular times in your heart, in your, I mean, in your world, where God has, has acted in such a way, you recognize His grace and His goodness in such a way that you want to put an exclamation point on your thanksgiving and say, in light of what, how good my God is and all that He's done, I want to bring this perfect offering and sacrifice and give it to Him, whether it was uh, an animal or a grain or a, uh, a pigeon or a dove. So, so get this. This would have been an act of thanksgiving. And God is, God is saying that even your best, even your, your best expression of thanksgiving and worship and appreciation to me 
cannot be accepted unless it comes connected and tied to an offering, a sacrifice that is perfect and without blemish. The other offerings have to do with dealing with your sin. It's aware that we can see, oh, because of my my sin, I'm not acceptable to God. But here, this passage begins to get into another side of it. What, What could you picture as being one of the best acts you could do? Something that would qualify as a good work. Would it not be offering thanksgiving and worship to God? Surely he would be pleased by this. Surely he would be honored by it. Yet Leviticus tells us, unless it's connected and tied to a sacrifice without blemish and is perfect, you are not acceptable. It's not just that your offering isn't acceptable. Did you notice that? You aren't acceptable. Look in verse 29. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord... You shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. If we want to be accepted by God, then we can only approach Him in the way that He has graciously provided through a perfect and unblemished sacrifice. This completely throws some common misconceptions of uh, of of religion on its head. If this is true, that even your best uh, offering to God is unacceptable without a perfect sacrifice, then that means any thought or conception that you could live a good life and that would be acceptable to God is going out the window. You're coming to worship on Sundays and giving, thinking that God will be pleased by that? No, it will not work. Unless it comes connected and tied to a perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish. To think that you could worship any other God and think that just by faithfully following that God, that the God of the Bible would find that acceptable. Leviticus chapter 22 says, think again. Even your best acts of worship of offering, of sacrifice, will never be acceptable to Him unless they are brought and connected to a pure, perfect, unblemished sacrifice. What have we seen this whole time as we've gone through Leviticus? All of Leviticus is pointing us to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus who would come, of God Himself, the perfect and holy one who would enter into our world, who would suffer the death we deserved, who would live the perfect life that we couldn't live, dealing with and taking away our sin, the punishment and judgment we deserved before God. Through His resurrection, we are now given new life to walk and follow Him. But how does that make our offerings the, the way that we live, acceptable to God. Well, listen to this. Remember, it's got to be connected to a perfect sacrifice. We saw last week in Hebrews that it reiterates over and over again that Jesus is the perfect, unstained by sin, high priest and sacrificial lamb. But listen to this. What Jesus does on your behalf. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Connected to Jesus, we're accepted. Leviticus tells us, unless you are connected and tied to a perfect, unblemished sacrifice, you are not acceptable to God. But what we see here is that through Jesus, you are now without spot. You are out now without blemish. You are acceptable and accepted to Him because of your connection to Jesus. That means now that we can live a life glorifying and pleasing to Him that He will delight in, that would be an offering that pleases our God. It's not to say that that God still doesn't desire us to give financially. That is true. We see that through the Scriptures. But it expands to encompassing all of your life. What did we see in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 these past couple of weeks? That we ourselves, like stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You see, it's only in relationship with Jesus that any of our life would be acceptable to God. And this is the crazy thing about it. It's because of the mercy and grace of our God. Now we are acceptable to Him. Now our lives are pleasing to Him. You see, instead of grace kind of rendering worship, holiness, uh, uh, just uh, unneeded or no big deal, it in fact obligates and empowers us to offer our lives and ourselves as sacrifices pleasing to God because we're acceptable, acceptable to Him in Jesus. In fact, that's what Romans 12, 1 tells us. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. This morning, we are hearing and experiencing the good news of the gospel. Some of us may be here uh, confident of our own good works, and it would never have crossed our mind that God would have never been, would have never accepted us. Leviticus would call us to change our thinking on that. There's others of us here who you've never heard anything out of anybody's mouth except that you aren't worth anything. And nothing you can do is good. Here, the good and the bad news of the gospel comes to all of us. None of us are good enough for God. But in His grace and His mercy, through Jesus, you are delighted in. He's pleased with you. And you are acceptable to Him through what Christ has done. This is what should motivate our giving our lives as an offering to God to demonstrate His goodness before the watching world. This is why it's important both for the leaders of God's people and the people of God to consider how we are offering ourselves and our stuff to Him and managing it. Because this is what demonstrates the good and gracious name of our God to the watching world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for the mercy that You've given us in Jesus. We thank You that through His perfect, 
unblemished sacrifice, we now are acceptable to You. That our lives, the good deeds that we do in Your power and Your strength are pleasing and glorifying to You. Continue to give us uh, a heart of humble dependence on our Savior and our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.